4, 1 through 10. I am going to be reading from the New and International Version. You're welcome to look in your pews at the version there. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. The word of God for the people of God. Today we are in week eight of our series, So Great a Cloud of Witnesses. In this series, we're hearing the stories of 10 people who lived and died in the 20th century. We're learning that saints and martyrs didn't just live and die hundreds of years ago. There are saints and martyrs living and dying for the way of Jesus in the world still to this day. We're learning what they have to teach us about walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Today, our journey takes us to Germany. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was born in Germany in 1906. He was raised in the Lutheran church. His grandfather was a famous German theologian, and it was clear at a very early age that young Dietrich was absolutely brilliant. He loved theology. He loved to talk about God. He loved to read about God. He loved to write about God. By the time he was 21 years old, Dietrich Bonhoeffer already had a doctorate in theology. And everyone agreed that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was going to have a sparkling career as a pastor in the German Lutheran church. And there was only one problem. Dietrich wasn't old enough yet to be a pastor in the Lutheran church. He had to wait a few years in order to be old enough to be ordained. And while he was waiting... Dietrich decided to get out and see the world a little bit. He decided to travel. He moved to New York City. He enrolled at Union Theological Seminary. He was excited to spend some more time talking about God and reading about God and writing about God. But when he started taking classes at Union Theological Seminary, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was disappointed by what he found in his teachers and in his classmates In a letter that he wrote back to a friend in Germany, he said, there is no theology here. All they want to do is talk about politics and economics. Nobody seems to want to talk about the gospel. Nobody seems to want to talk about theology. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was equally disappointed by the churches that he found in New York City. 
He said the sermons are just sort of a churchy commentary on whatever happens to be in the newspaper that Sunday morning. He said it seems like the pastors are allowed to talk about anything except for Jesus. There is no proclamation of the gospel in this place. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was disappointed and depressed by the state of the church as he found it in New York City. But then a friend invited him to come and try a new church. A friend invited Dietrich Bonhoeffer to come and worship at the Abyssinian Baptist Church of Harlem. Now, at that time, the Abyssinian Baptist Church was the largest African-American church in New York City. It was the biggest Baptist church in all the world. And as he sat in those pews, and as he listened to those black church preachers, and as he heard the music of the gospel choirs, something stirred in Dietrich Bonhoeffer's heart, something awakened in Dietrich Bonhoeffer's soul. He said, for the first time in my life, the gospel moved from the realm of words and into the realm of living human beings. For the very first time in his life, Dietrich Bonhoeffer heard the gospel not from the top down, but from the bottom up. There at the Abyssinian Baptist Church, he suddenly felt the power of a gospel that was good news of liberation for the oppressed and marginalized people of this world. For the first time, he truly understood what it was to proclaim a gospel that is literally a matter of life and death. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was enchanted by what he found at the Abyssinian Baptist Church. He stuck around at that church for the entirety of his time in New York. He developed a lifelong love of black church spirituals. He even became a Sunday school teacher at the church. I would have loved to have seen that. I would have loved to have seen this German Lutheran academic teaching Sunday school classes at New York City's biggest black Baptist church. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for some of those classes. When he went back to Germany, Dietrich Bonhoeffer brought back with him a box full of gospel choir records and an expanded sense, an expanded understanding of just how big God's family is. Dietrich Bonhoeffer went back to Germany with a brand new understanding of who was his brother, who was his sister, who was his sibling in Christ, who was his neighbor in the kingdom of God. When he got back to Germany, Dietrich Bonhoeffer became a leader in the ecumenical movement. He became a leader in this movement to encourage understanding and cooperation between the various branches and denominations of the Christian faith. He became a a builder of bridges. And he finally got ordained. He was finally able to start his ministry as a pastor in the German Lutheran Church. But almost as soon as his ministry career started, it was suddenly thrown off the rails. Just two years after Dietrich Bonhoeffer was ordained as a pastor in the Lutheran church, his life was thrown into turmoil. All of Germany was thrown into turmoil. Soon the whole world would be thrown into turmoil. Just two years after he was ordained, the Nazi party came to power in Germany. And the rise of the Nazi party affected every aspect of life in Germany, including the church. 
Now, the new German Chancellor Adolf Hitler saw that there were 45 million Protestant Christians living in Germany at that time, and he decided that he wanted to have the church at his disposal. He decided that he wanted to have the church on his side, and so Hitler and the other Nazi party leaders started engineering a takeover of the church. They worked to make sure that there were Nazis and Nazi sympathizers in key positions of leadership within the church. They discovered that there There were plenty of Christians, plenty of people within the church who were more than happy to cooperate and collaborate with the Nazis. And soon the Nazi party had taken over a good amount, a good portion of the church in Germany. And once they had control of the church, the Nazis started making changes. One of the things that they wanted to change was the Bible. The Nazis felt that the Bible was too Jewish. And so they started printing new editions of the Bible, editions that didn't have an Old Testament, didn't have the Hebrew Scriptures, didn't have those portions of the New Testament that felt too Jewish to Nazi party leaders. And they started purging the church in the same way they were purging German government and German society. They started removing from the church members and pastors who had Jewish ancestry. And, of course, there were people in the church who were alarmed by these changes. There were people who were alarmed by the way the church seemed to be losing control of its own teaching, the way that the church seemed to be losing the ability even to define what a Christian actually is. And so a sort of protest movement, an opposition movement, rose up within the church. And the leaders and people of this opposition movement, they called themselves the Confessing Church. They call themselves the Confessing Church because they wanted to make it clear that being a Christian, the foundation of the Christian faith, is not your ancestry, it's not your political party, it's not your nationality or the color of your skin. The foundation of the Christian faith is the confession of the Christian faith. If you can say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, And I believe in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Catholic Church. If you can make that confession of faith, then you are a Christian regardless of your ancestry, regardless of your political affiliation, regardless of your nationality. Dietrich Bonhoeffer became a a leader in the confessing church movement. But it wasn't long before Dietrich Bonhoeffer was frustrated and disappointed even by the leadership of this confessing church movement. He felt like they weren't moving fast enough. He felt like they weren't trying hard enough. The leadership of the confessing church was mostly interested in what was happening within the church. They wanted to protect the church from government interference. They wanted to defend the integrity of the doctrines and the institution of the church. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, we are looking in the wrong place. God right now is not calling us to protect ourselves. God is not calling us to defend our institution. God is calling us to protect our neighbors. God is calling upon us to defend the Jews. Dietrich Bonhoeffer worked hard to try to get the leadership of the confessing church to broaden the scope of their protest, to take a stand against the anti-Semitism 
of the Nazi party, of the German government. But the leadership of the confessing church felt like if they expanded their scope, if they started talking about anti-Semitism and what was happening to the Jews, then they would lose support from German Christians who were with them up to that point. They would ask Dietrich Bonhoeffer to write a statement, and so he would write these profound, prophetic statements of protest against what was happening in Germany at that time, and then those statements that Dietrich Bonhoeffer had written would go to committee. And by the time they came out of committee, they were so watered down and toothless that Dietrich Bonhoeffer refused to sign them. He refused to endorse the very statements that he himself had written. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer wasn't the only one who was frustrated with the lack of action on the part of German Christians. There was one leader in the confessing church who asked this question, why does the church do nothing? Why do we allow this unspeakable evil to continue? What will we say one day when God asks of us, church, where is your brother Abel? And that question, where is your brother Abel, is a reference to one of the stories we find in the Hebrew Scriptures. It's a reference to a story that comes from one of those books of the Bible that the Nazis wanted to remove from the Bible. In the book of Genesis, we hear the stories of creation. God speaks the world into existence. And then God creates human beings. God creates Adam and Eve. And then Adam and Eve have two sons. Adam and Eve named their sons Cain and Abel. And as so often happens with siblings, these two brothers grow in two different directions. They develop their own interests. Cain is a farmer. He works the fields. Abel is a shepherd. He looks after a flock. And one day there's a conflict between these two brothers. It has to do with the right way to worship God, as so often happens still to this day. What happened was this. One day Cain and Abel decided to make a sacrifice as an act of devotion and faithfulness to God, and so they each brought a sacrifice to God. Cain brought some of the crops from his field. Abel brought some of the lambs from his flock. They both made their offering. They both made their sacrifice to God. And then the Bible tells us that God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice, but God did not regard the sacrifice of Cain. We don't know why. The Bible never tells us why God preferred Abel's sacrifice to the sacrifice of Cain. It may be that Abel made a better sacrifice. Maybe Abel gave the very best lambs from his flock while Cain just pulled a handful of weeds out of the field and burned them on an altar before God. Or it may be that God looked into the hearts of Cain and Abel, and in Abel's heart, God saw love and devotion, but in Cain's heart, God saw something that was troubling, something disturbing, maybe pridefulness, maybe selfish ambition, maybe a spirit of competitiveness. We don't know why God preferred Abel's sacrifice to the sacrifice of Cain. What we know is that Cain became angry. He became bitter and resentful. God saw the anger of Cain and God reached out to Cain. God tried to speak to Cain, to calm down Cain, but Cain would not listen. Cain would not respond. Instead, he said to his brother, let's go for a walk in the fields. And as they were walking through the fields, Cain rose up against his brother and Cain murdered him there in the field. And then we have one of the most poignant moments in all of Scripture. God asks Cain a question. And God already knows the answer. 
Cain, where is your brother Abel? And Cain doesn't look God in the eye. Cain just shrugs his shoulders and says, how should I know? Am I my brother's keeper? In Germany, during the rise of the Nazi party, church leaders said, what answer will we have to give God when God says, church, where is your brother Abel? Well, the only answer we have to offer be the answer that Cain gave to God. How should I know? Am I my brother's keeper? Dietrich Bonhoeffer became increasingly frustrated with the lack of action, with the lack of movement on behalf of the confessing church. And finally, he decided to take matters in his own hands. He started preaching his own sermons. He started making his own statements against the anti-Christian and anti-Semitic policies of the German government. He started to become a courier for the German resistance movement. He used his position as a leader in the church to carry messages all throughout Europe. He did what he could to help Jews escape to safety in Switzerland. He did all of these things knowing what was likely to happen. And then it happened. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was arrested. He spent a year and a half in prison. Then he was moved to a concentration camp. Then he was transferred to another concentration camp. And then in April of 1945, in the very final weeks of the war, even as Allied forces were advancing towards Berlin, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was led to a gallows and he was hanged. Of all the stories that we're going to hear in this series, of all the people whose lives we're going to talk about, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is one of the most famous. He's one of the best remembered of all of these martyrs, of all of these saints of the church. In the years since the death of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, dozens of books have been written about his life. Eight Bonhoeffer movies have been produced. At least that many plays and musicals have been made. There's even a Bonhoeffer opera. And in recent years, there's been a resurgence of interest in the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. New books are still being written, and theologians and academics and scholars and pastors are still arguing about the legacy of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, still trying to figure out who exactly the real Dietrich Bonhoeffer was. Just this morning, I got on social media, and a friend of mine had posted a quotation from Dietrich Bonhoeffer and then asked the question, who really was he? Was he a liberal theologian? Was he a conservative theologian? Still to this day, conservative theologians say, look at the way he criticized the American church. Look at the way he emphasized the proclamation of the gospel. Surely, Bonhoeffer was one of us. And liberal theologians say, no, look at the way he stood up for justice for the marginalized and oppressed people of this world. Look at the way he built bridges between people. Surely Bonhoeffer was truly one of us. Still to this day, even this very morning, people are arguing over the legacy of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and whose camp he belongs to. And there's something so ironic about all of these arguments. Given the way in which Dietrich Bonhoeffer worked to build bridges between people, given the way he worked to expand our understanding of who our brother is, who our sister is, who our sibling is, who our neighbor is. And I'm going to do something ironic right now. I'm going to plant my flag, and I'm going to tell you what I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer's real legacy is. As far as I can see, the real legacy of Dietrich Bonhoeffer is this. Here is what he has to teach us. 
The test of faith is not our perfect theology. The test of faith is not what church we belong to or what creed we confess. The test of faith is not our nationality or our ancestry. The test of faith is whether or not we understand that the answer to the question, am I my brother's keeper, is an emphatic yes, yes, yes. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for the life of your servant, Dietrich. We give you thanks for the way he looked beyond the walls of the church, the way he looked beyond the walls of his institution, his denomination, and saw your family, saw your children, saw your people. God, we pray that you would give us the eyes that he had, that we would leave this place today with an expanded understanding of who our brothers and sisters are, who our siblings are, who our neighbors in your kingdom are. God, make us builders of bridges until Jesus returns. In his name we pray. Amen.